Hey, Madison Church, we're kicking off a new series as we get closer and closer to Christmas, and we're calling it Who Needs Christmas? We're going to spend the next few weeks asking ourselves that question, who needs Christmas? And you might be wondering, well, who's we? Because I don't know you. Well, my name is Jake, and I'm actually a pastor in Las Vegas. Your pastor, Stephen, is one of my best friends. And although you rarely see me, I care deeply about you and your church. I've been rooting for Madison Church since the very beginning, and I'm really grateful that I get to share this message with you today. So back to that question, who needs Christmas? And I'll be honest, this year, I really felt like I needed Christmas. It's still been an up and down kind of year. We're still dealing with the pandemic. We're still in the midst of the costs and consequences of all of that. That's on top of all the global and national stuff that we still need to deal with. And then there's all the regular life stuff that's been happening. And so I felt like I really need Christmas. But I needed to be joy-filled, merry-making, heart-lightening kind of Christmas. In fact, back at the beginning of October, I walked into Lowe's to get something and they had already started to put the Christmas stuff out. And when I walked in, it put this huge smile on my face. There was a a little twinkle in my heart and I had a thought that I have never had in my life before. Standing in Lowe's at the beginning of October, I thought, man, I should buy an artificial Christmas tree and put it in my house right now. And some of you might be thinking like, okay, Christmas tree in October is probably a little excessive, maybe a little bit strange, but it's been a year, so I kind of get it. But what made this so earth shattering for me was that I'm a big, real Christmas tree guy. I've made a vow to myself and bound my children and wife to the same vow that we will only ever have real Christmas trees. So the idea of buying an artificial tree and putting it up in October, all because the twinkling lights put a little twinkle in my heart, shows you just how much I am putting all of my emotional eggs into the Christmas basket. Who needs Christmas? I really need Christmas. And and then Christmas comes, and I start asking myself the question again, and maybe a little bit differently. Who needs Christmas? Do Do I really need Christmas? I'm sure you've asked yourself the question at some point. You're looking at your budget or your bank account. I don't know if my bank account needs Christmas. It's stressful. It's it's hard when you feel like money's tight and everything at Christmas needs money. I can't imagine the Feath house. They had all their kids in December. And so now three birthdays and Christmas in the same month. Jesus help Stephen and Megan. You're looking at your calendar. There's some work parties, maybe some school activities. You want to take time off, but the work doesn't really stop. And traveling to see family or family traveling to see you. When do you decorate? When do you shop? How long is all of that going to take? I don't know if my calendar needs Christmas. And speaking of family, there's all the relational stuff of Christmas. Who spends Christmas with who? And where do they spend it? And once you're with them, you can start to remember why sometimes it's hard to be with them. And you have to love them because they are family, but sometimes you really don't like them. Who needs Christmas? And on the other end of the spectrum, there's also a loneliness that often comes at Christmas. In some cases, you're alone. You've been separated from loved ones and friends. In some cases, you're, you're around people still, yet you feel alone. And who wants to share about their loneliness when this is supposed to be a season of joy? Just look at Instagram. Nobody else feels lonely, so there, there must be something wrong with me, right? I mean, who needs Christmas? Then there's the gift buying and gift giving, which somehow always feels stressful. Earlier this year, in a moment of just trying to get a kid distracted so you can get something done, every parent knows that feeling, 
My wife put on a show, just a random Netflix show called Gabby's Dollhouse. Well, our, our three-year-old fell in love with it, and she's obsessed, and so she now watches it every day during her screen time. And she decided that's what she wanted for Christmas. And it turns out that it's really hard to get Gabby's Dollhouse toys. There's huge demand, plus global supply chain issues, plus Christmas time means it's impossible to get. It's listed on Amazon for a 300% markup over the retail price. She signed up for the in-stock notifications from Target. And every time we would get a notification from Target, she'd jump in the car, she'd drive like a mad woman, get to the toy aisle, and it was gone, if it was ever there. We tried to do the drive-up option at Walmart whenever it was in stock. We tried three times, and it was canceled on us three times. It's like our very own Jingle All the Way movie. Why is gift-giving so stressful? Who needs Christmas? And if you aren't a Christian, or you're just checking out Madison Church, or maybe just exploring Christianity, then one of your questions might be, can I have all of the Christmas but without all of the Jesus stuff? Because the Christmas story can seem so unbelievable. Virgin giving birth in a barn, angels are singing. Maybe it's just a a myth to give this so-called Savior some street cred. Who needs Christmas? Yet, in spite of all of those questions and potential objections, if, if if you were to ask me, who needs Christmas? I would answer, we all do. Not just Christians. I mean, all of us. The world needs Christmas. And that's what I want to spend a few minutes talking about. The Christmas story reaches a climactic moment in a small town called Bethlehem with the birth of a baby who is called Jesus. But the Christmas story started long before that, thousands of years and many generations before that. We read the Christmas story about a couple who's engaged to be married in the Gospels of of Matthew and Luke. But the Christmas story starts with a couple who couldn't have a kid in the very first book of the Bible, Genesis. One pastor, Andy Stanley, would say it like this. When you get the backstory, when you get the whole story, this unbelievable story actually becomes a remarkable story. And before you check out, think of it like this. Genesis is this ancient document preserved for over 3,000 years as a part of the Jewish scriptures and then eventually as part of the Christian Bible. And the document shows God's intricate and intimate involvement with humanity. And part of that story is a guy named Abraham. God spoke to Abraham 2,090 years before Jesus and made him an unbelievable promise that he chose to believe. This is what it's written in Genesis 12. The, the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country and your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. So this is where he has security. It's protection. It's, it's known. We aren't told why God chose Abram like we're not told why he chose Joseph. He, he had to start somewhere with someone. And so he's told to leave his, his security, his family, this territory. And it says, I will make you into a great nation. He's 75. He's got no kids. Great nation. He, he'd be happy with great grandfather. And I, I will bless you. I will make your name great. Like, like famous. But I just left everyone who knows me. It's much more likely I'll be forgotten. And you will be a blessing. 
In a world of violence and corruption, he would be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. In other words, God will not be deterred. There comes the then then this comes this uh, this unbelievable, incoherent, impossible to fulfill part. It made it made no sense culturally. It was it was just short of a virgin having a baby, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Every people group. Nations will be better off because of you. Hey, you have to get this. People didn't bless peoples. Nations didn't bless nations. Nations conquered nations. Peoples enslaved peoples. Countries came and plundered other countries. Abraham believed the unbelievable. Eventually, he and Sarah had a son. But nobody was all that blessed. And the story goes kind of crazy. Abraham lies a bunch uh, about his wife being his sister. And eventually Abraham had Isaac. But don't forget about the whole Ishmael and the whole family dysfunction with that. Isaac had two sons, Esau and Jacob. Jacob was a more prolific liar than his grandfather, Abraham, but he ends up stealing the firstborn status from his older brother. And and then Jacob has 12 sons with four different women. And Jacob's sons sell their brother Joseph into slavery. He ends up in Egypt. And then during a huge famine, Jacob and all the rest of his sons and, and all of their families migrate to Egypt as refugees from the famine. And eventually the family grows into a nation. But they become a nation of slaves in Egypt. Nobody's feeling blessed. And they're in no position to bless anyone. And then God sends Moses. And Moses leads the people out of slavery. But when Moses was done, nobody in Egypt was feeling blessed. And then soon the Canaanites weren't feeling blessed. I mean, there's lots of killing and not much blessing. Let me just give you this as an aside, something to consider. Old Testament violence isn't an argument against the existence uh, or goodness of God. It's a reflection of a culture without God. It's a reflection of a culture that put no value on human life. The violence didn't strike the actors, the the people at the time, as violent. To the peoples of the earth, it, it was normal. It strikes us as violent. And I would say it strikes us as violent because we're on the other side of Christmas. Maybe more on that later. So around a thousand years after God's promise to Abraham, his family slash nation becomes a kingdom, the kingdom of Israel. And after a slight misstep with the first king, David then takes the throne and he brings peace. Israel was feared and respected. And after David, Solomon ascends to the throne And under Solomon, Israel was wealthy and influential. Israel was finally in a position to bless. And instead of blessing the nations, Solomon married their daughters and worshipped their gods. And God had promised Solomon that if he worshipped other gods, then then he would destroy the temple. God's like, I'll tear it down. I I don't need it. I'm up to something bigger anyway. And so the best opportunity was lost. The nation was split into two and After Solomon, there was a a divided economy, a divided military. Fast forward 300 years. This is now 700 BC. The northern kingdom is lost. And the southern kingdom is on the verge of implosion, invasion. Israel can't bless herself, much less anybody else. Well, 1,200 
years later, eight eighth century BC, things were not going well for Israel. The, the 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 northern kingdom had abandoned God altogether. The southern kingdom was on the verge of going the same way. The Assyrian king Shenachereb uh, besieged Jerusalem, and King Hezekiah surrendered the nation as a vassal state. And it's in this moment God speaks to the prophet Isaiah, and Isaiah writes it down, and it's preserved. He says. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. A light? I mean, they were a joke. Salvation, where's salvation? Israel couldn't even save herself. And so after this prophecy, they they lost their independence to Assyria. The next 300 years were, were chaotic. Babylonians invade. Jerusalem is sacked. The temples destroyed. The best and the brightest are exiled. The economy is in shambles. The military is decimated. And so how could God say something like this? Why would God say something like this? One theologian and scholar, Esau Macaulay, he, he writes about this same scripture from Isaiah from the perspective of the African-American experience. And I think it applies to all of us. He writes that the Bible calls on us to develop a theological imagination within which we see the world as a community and not a collection of hostilities. It does so by giving us the vision of a person who can heal our wounds and dismantle our hostilities. We need theological imagination. And as much as I dislike the song personally, John Lennon was close when he wrote Happy Christmas. He had had theological imagination. And so this is Christmas for weak and for strong. War is over. For the rich and the poor ones, The road is so long. War is over now. And so happy Christmas for black and for whites. For the yellow and red ones, let's stop all the fight. Christmas and Christianity invite us to imagine a world filled with light and salvation for all peoples. Not just a chosen few, not just the rich, not just the powerful, not just the white Christmas invites the world to uh, imagine a world where everyone is blessed to be a blessing. Who needs Christmas? We all do. We all need to be blessed to be a blessing, a world of blessing upon blessing. That's the story that God is up to, and that's why we need Christmas. That's why we need Jesus. But before we get to Jesus, the story gets worse and more unbelievable for Israel. 400 years later, this is now 400 BC, the nation is reestablishing itself, but things aren't going great. Israel was overrun by the Persian, uh, the Babylonians, the, the Persians, the Greeks, and then in 63 BC, Pompey took Jerusalem and annexed it into the Republic of Rome. Pompey rode his horse into the temple. He, he walked into the God vault to see this, this Jewish God, and it was empty because Jews had no image. I mean, what a pathetic religion. And so began the Roman occupation of Israel. When things were as hopeless as they had ever been, when God's promise to Abraham 
was so out of reach. It was as out of reach as it could possibly be. That's when Jesus was born. And looking back at this moment, Paul wrote in a letter to the church in Galatia. And he said, but when the fullness of time arrived, God sent his son. So this is actually the moment when when God had everything just the way he wanted it. There was an expanding empire. They were exporting a common Greek slash Roman culture and language. There was a a highway and seaport system that connected these major population hubs of the civilized world. There was the Pax Romana, peace between the, the civilized and conquered nations. And so when at last there was a mechanism through which to get the world's attention, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. To a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. In the end, God kept his unbelievable, incoherent, seemingly impossible promise to Abraham. The Christmas story began 2,000 years before Jesus' birth. And the Christmas story continues to unfold today, 2,000 years later. Who needs Christmas? The world does. The world needs a a, a blessing. The world needs to return blessing with blessing. We need to imagine it and, and we need to believe it and we need to work for it. And we do it because although we don't fully see it, we have seen it in Jesus. God has been at work for millennia. God has been involved in in the details for thousands of years, guiding the story, uh, guiding the promise. And so that's what continues because God has been involved in all of those details for thousands of years as he's guided it along. And so this Sunday, Christians around the world are celebrating the second Sunday of Advent. and And the theme for this Sunday is peace. We long for a world where there is where's peace and wholeness and we have faith that, that it will come because we have seen peace in Jesus. In Jesus, what we see what it's like to live at peace with God and, and with our neighbor. In Jesus, we see what it's like to live at peace in the world and we see that it's possible to be a peacemaker, to be the person who brings the blessing of peace. God is interested He's more than interested. He's involved. He came to earth as as one of us to bring this promise to fruition. He put his divinity and his life on the line. And we can have theological imagination because we have seen Christmas and we have seen Jesus. Even when it doesn't look like anything is moving or progressing, we can still trust God and his promise because we've already seen Christmas. Christmas. 